All right. Well, go ahead and open up in your Bibles or move in your Bible devices or uh, go in your perfect memory to Acts chapter 4. Um, while you're turning there, uh, I want to I tell you a little story. Uh, in the early 1500s, the Bible was only available in Latin. It was the Latin Vulgate, was the only translation of the Bible. And uh, it was actually heresy it was, it, to the Roman Catholic Church to, to teach the Bible what the Bible actually said to people of other languages. And Latin was a dead language. It was no longer spoken. And there was one priest by the name of William Tyndale who decided that that, that shouldn't be true. It should not be true that, that normal average people were not allowed to read the Bible. And so he mastered Greek and Hebrew, and he had a rudimentary knowledge of Aramaic, and he began translating uh, in initially the New Testament, but he began translating the Bible into English. He was an Oxford graduate. He was an Englishman by, by his uh, birth, and that way people could read the Bible. They could have it in their own hands, like you do right now, except without being able to ever do it before. And the Roman Catholic Church came down hard on him uh, because, again, that was heretical to provide the Bible to normal people. The, the general view was that normal people were too stupid to understand the Bible. Therefore, it needed to be left to only to the educated. So they, uh, 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 Tyndale completed his translation of the New Testament, portions of the Old Testament, um, which were then smuggled uh, in, in, into England in the form of small, easily concealed books. Uh, different priests began what, questioning uh, uh, how people knew these biblical doctrines and these Bible statements, and it got traced back to William Tyndale, um, who was eventually captured in 1536. And then he was, uh, he was tried for heresy and he was condemned. He was executed by being first strangled to death and then being burned at the stake. Um, and then it wasn't just, that, that's not all the Roman Catholic Church did. Eventually they re-dug up his body, and, uh, or his, his remains, the, the dust of his remains, and decided to dump it into a sewage uh, river um, about 100 years later. They were upset. But Tyndale was courageous. He knew what was going to happen to him. He was a priest himself. He understood uh, that, that his mission, as he saw it, uh, was, was going to result in him dying. He was aware of it, and he walked straight into it. Today, we're going to be reading the first 22 verses in Acts chapter 4. It's an account of Peter and John's courage of being empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and, and it's, it, it's, another, it's another moment where Christians knew what they were walking into. So, I'm going to go ahead and read. Um, follow along in your Bibles if you're able. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, actually, you know what, well, let me set the stage. Remember when John spoke two weeks ago, uh, the, what, what had happened was, was Peter and John were walking into the temple and a, a lame beggar uh, expected for them to give him, give him gold or, or, or some sort of currency and gold and silver, I have none. What I give you, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he was healed and he was 
able to stand. So uh, this created a stir. <laughs> uh, people saw it. They knew the lame beggar. He was a regular at the temple. So that's where we, that's where we resume. Sorry. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness, or the courage, of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to, uh, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened." For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. So let's, let, let's, let's, take, a, let's take a moment here to unpack this, right? You've got, uh, you've got Peter and John. A sign is done. A lame beggar who is of an age that you wouldn't expect to heal from a pretty bad injury, especially in that time, um, is, is all of a sudden up and dancing and, and, and moving and able, able to do things that he was not able to do 30 seconds before. People knew the lame beggar. He was, he was a frequenter, uh, kind of like how you and I, when we drive, if we drive through uh, Salem often enough, we start to recognize the people at the off-ramps, right? We look at them and we're like, I'm pretty sure I saw you on Portland Road last week. Now you're on Market Street. But, but they, they knew this guy. And, and here he is. Either he's been faking it, which probably not true, um, or, or a miraculous sign has been done. They, 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 and, and what they get upset about is that, Jesus, is that they're proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. 
If you know much about the Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees were the Working? Oh, there we go. All right. Uh, so had to had to dig the car out of the snow and the ice. And uh, then we got to the veterinary hospital five minutes after the emergency hours started. And we had to pay triple the amount to have the cat seen, uh, only to find out that she just basically swelled up and we could give her antibiotics. So it's something similar here, right? It's quitting time. Nope, we're not going to stay for another trial. This could get dirty. Plus... If you think about it, the next day makes more sense because you can call in all the rulers to look at this. And all the people that are high and mighty in education. So Peter and John are thrown in jail for the night because they couldn't be bothered to try them try right then and there. And, uh, and then, then they're put on trial. But again, what they're frustrated about initially is that they're teaching the resurrection. But that's not what they charge him for. But they get offended. Um, the truth by nature is offensive, right? Um, uh, Peter and John bluntly and courageously reminded their listeners that they had rejected Christ. They'd participated in his crucifixion, whom you crucified. If you go back to Acts chapter, uh, ch chapter 2, where I got to preach a couple weeks ago, you find that it's basically the same message to the Jews. This Jesus Christ whom you crucified. So Peter and John are being blunt. Um, but the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees should have understood the message. They should have gotten it. Because if there's anybody that should have understood who the Messiah was, it's the people who had been educated in who the Messiah was. I mean, Jesus fits perfectly into the Old Testament prophets of who was supposed to be the Messiah, the Christ, the King, and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the high priests. They're all, they're all uh, 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 perfectly in alignment that, that Jesus should be killed. There's a great irony there. So, in short, what Peter and John had done by preaching the resurrection is they had really offended the wrong people. Um... The, the, the people that should have understood what they were saying, but instead were rejecting what was said. Uh, Peter, and, Peter and John, by offending the wrong people and, and not diluting the truth, were doing a good thing, right? They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're being courageous. They're standing for the truth of the gospel. And, uh, and they're, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they were to dilute the truth, it might actually dilute its effectiveness. I, I, I had to think about this because it, it's so much easier to come before people and kind of sugarcoat the gospel, right? Um, uh, like like if, uh, if we boil it down to uh, like the four spiritual laws, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, let's go ahead and unpack the word wonderful. That could mean death by martyrdom. It could mean suffering and persevering through massive trial. Uh, it, it, could, it could mean a lot of things that you wouldn't classify as wonderful, but hey, the Bible does. So we can, we can try and make the Bible, or we can try and make the gospel more palatable, the truth more palatable. But in doing so, we might accidentally dilute its effectiveness. An example I thought of is a vitamin coated in sugar. It'll taste much sweeter than a normal vitamin, especially if it's got iron in it. Because iron tastes 
absolutely awful. Just anyway, so a sugar-coated vitamin might make it taste sweeter, but that sugar-coated vitamin might actually not be effective if you're not watching the rest of your sugar intake the rest of the day. So while you might be getting more vitamins and minerals and everything in your body, you might actually be doing more harm than good by consuming copious amount of sugar. We, uh, or, uh, then by, then by uh, watching your sugar intake, I should say. So we Christians, we should be prepared that we might accidentally offend the wrong people by proclaiming truth properly. But we also shouldn't aim to offend. Um, Peter and John, in this case, they, they did aim to offend because these guys needed to hear the right thing. But we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't I've said it before, but we shouldn't try to be jerks for Jesus. It just, it's not a good way of bringing the gospel to folks. Um, think of it like this. There's medicines that my children hate. This morning I gave Abby Tylenol. It's cherry flavored. That to her probably tastes worse than garbage. I could feed her whatever's, whatever liquid is at the bottom of the garbage can and she'd be happier with it, I bet. So, so there's medicines that my children hate the flavor of, but I know that if they consume it, it's good. And so I can force it down her throat. I mean, I could sit on Abby. I'm still heavier than she is. And I, I, could, I could hold her mouth open and I could dump it down her throat and say, here, take this medicine. It's good for you. Or I could try and help her along the way. Abby, you can do it. You can swallow it. It's good for you. It's going to help. Kiddo, you can do hard things. This is going to work. My goal should not be cramming the medicine down people's throats. My goal should be trying to get people to take the real medicine. So we should be prepared to speak the truth in love when it comes to preaching the gospel. We should be winsome when we share the gospel. Winsome is one of my favorite words. You never hear it, okay? You never hear people say it. But winsomeness, being an absolutely lost art, uh, needs to be recovered by Christians. It's, it's having or showing a good mood or disposition. It's different if I, if I were to stand on a street corner with a soapbox and a, and a $30 Bluetooth speaker with a, with a microphone attached to it, uh, and I'm shouting that everybody's going to be rotting in hell. It's different between that and going up to somebody and saying, hey, Jesus died, really died, but he really rose from the dead, and he came to redeem sinners like me and like you. So Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, um, and you kind of have to note the list of high-ranking officials right there. You got the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the experts in the law. Uh, Annas, who, uh, by the way, if, if you know the story of Jesus, Caiaphas is the high priest. So here's an inconsistency in the Bible, right? That's not true. Uh, Annas was the high priest who was deposed in 14 AD by the Romans. Um, and Caiaphas was, was uh, allowed to be high priest by the Romans. But the Jews, recommend, uh, they, they recognized Annas as the high priest still. Caiaphas was like the elected official, right? Um, it's kind of like when you're in a church and the pastor retires, but he's still going to the church and a new pastor comes in and everybody still goes to the old pastor to complain about things instead of the new pastor. Bad example. Don't, don't do that. That's sin. Anyway, so, <laughs> but you've got Annas, the high priest. You've got Caiaphas. Uh, you've got John. So there's some dude named John, another guy named Alexander. And then you've got the high priestly family. This is, this is an audience that should intimidate the most well-learned individual in that time. 
It's the most esteemed and educated men who are trying Peter and John. They didn't just call in the, the random substitute to stand before them. They called, they called in the whole troop to intimidate them. And then they asked the question, by what power or by what name did you do this? Ultimately, whose authority? Charging them with basically being demonic or, or charlatans or, or something evil, wicked. So uh, just something to remember. Those who are offended by the truth of the gospel really will cleverly word their questions in order to trap you, by the way. If you're ever proclaiming the gospel and somebody gets offended, uh, don't you know that people were offended by what you said? Don't you care that you're hurting people with your words, right? Putting all the blame on you. Lucas and I were chatting earlier, and I, I said the irony, uh, the irony of that situation is that, yes, I do know that people were offended, me chiefly. The gospel offends me. <laughs> I'm still a sinner. And I still hear these things like, don't be greedy. Uh, don't, lust after, uh, don't lust after people, of the, uh, uh, people that are attractive, I guess you could say. Don't lust after anyone. And don't murder people. Oh, by the way, being angry at people is murdering people. I, I don't like swallowing those truths either. I absolutely know people are offended by this. So the, people will try and trap you if you're being courageous for the gospel. So let's, let's look again at, at Peter's reply, right? Rulers of the people and elders, uh, if we're being examined today by a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means he has been healed, uh, concerning, I'm sorry, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He is using Old Testament prophecy against these very well-educated men. He's saying, you killed him, but God raised him. Resurrected, which is a shot straight in the gut to the Sadducees. <laughs> so Peter speaks courageously, Peter and John. And uh, we have the note that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we can also take uh, a little comfort in this that Jesus promised this was going to happen, right? Uh, Luke 12, 11 to 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, that doesn't mean that they were supposed to be dumb and just not, not uh, consider what they were going to say. Um, I mean, these guys had been educated their whole lives in the synagogues. But what's wonderful about the way the Holy Spirit works when we have to be courageous for Christ is that those things that we've learned, they jump to the forefront of our mind. We may not have considered or thought of them for decades, but all of a sudden, that Bible verse pops in our mind. That thought comes back. That theological concept comes right back really is incredible. So Peter didn't do this alone. The Holy Spirit helped him. And nor do you, as Christians, face opposition alone. If you're in a work environment and you tick off the boss for doing something, and he's calling you to task because of, because of uh, something that you said that wasn't even offensive, but hey, this person's wording it so it's offensive, you're not in that room alone. 
Uh, Peter was also preaching that Jesus is the cornerstone and only, only source of salvation, which is true. Um, the Sanhedrin placed their hope in themselves. They had their hope in their pedigree and their knowledge of the law and not in knowing the one who gave the law. They knew the text. They did not know the person. They assumed that they were saved and safe because of their own works, their own righteousness, their own knowledge. But it's not knowledge, it's not self-righteousness that saves, it's only Jesus Christ. And the Sanhedrin needed to hear that truth. Um, what incredible Holy Spirit-empowered courage Peter and John displayed before these spiritual giants of his culture. Can you imagine standing before someone who's an incredible Bible teacher and they say something wrong? Maybe this person is a mega pastor, right? Uh, not just a pastor of a mega church, but a mega pastor. And you getting, the, you getting called to task before that individual and you stand before him and you say, this is where your doctrine's aired. And not only is this a big thing for you, but also this is televised. <laughs> Let's just say the whole nation is watching you stand before this guy. That's the situation these guys were in. And what incredible courage Peter and John displayed before them. So how do these spiritual giants respond, right? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. That proves what their trust was really in. It was not in the words of the prophecies. It was not in the truth of the Old Testament. It was in their pedigree. How dare, how dare these guys speak to me like this? How, how dare they? They haven't even been to the college that I've been to. Oh, how important my college is. They had so much pride in their title and position. They, they thought that only people who had a, had a like level of education as them were, were permitted to be bold like this. So, so, the, uh, so what did they do? They, they, they tried to silence the apostles, Right? They, 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 they make this, they come up with this idea like, well, we'll just tell them not to do it and they won't do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll charge, you, you can leave, but oh boy, you're going to be in so much trouble if you decide to preach the truth again. That's not what they say, but that's basically what they say. And those who hate the truth of the gospel will always find, try to find a way to silence it. By threatening you, by threatening your family, by threatening your friends, by threatening your ministry, by threatening whatever they can threaten, whatever they can pull out of their hat, they're going to do it. And it's because they're uncomfortable with the gospel being effective. But then Peter and John respond with that famous statement. Whether it's right to obey you or to obey God, why don't you judge for yourselves? This is not COVID, okay? This is not, the, the government was not shutting Christianity down by saying you can't go to your church buildings. Anyway, throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. And still gather in homes like this century did. Anyway, but, <laughs> but, uh, but move, moving on, moving on. Um, that, look, at, look at their determination. Understand that determination. 
to stand before these spiritual giants and say, hey, man, you know, these guys who speak for God, basically, for their culture, whether it's right for me to obey you or to obey God, why don't you judge for yourselves? If the Sanhedrin saw Christianity as the heretical danger they, they, they say it is, then they should have executed Peter and John. Maybe there were political reasons for them not doing it, right? Jesus was just educated, or educated, executed, uh, like 50 days before, maybe 60 days before by this point, so two months-ish. And, uh, and maybe they didn't have enough clout with the Roman centurions to, to bring up another execution of a guy that's violating their laws. I don't really know. I mean, those are possible things. But the reality is that the Sanhedrin should have been much, much more um, against Peter and John than they were. But in God's amazing providence, for whatever reason, they were not able to execute them. And the irony is that, well, Peter and John said this thing, this, this great statement, right? Either obey you or God. The irony is that the Sanhedrin willfully and unwittingly became man-pleasers. Did you catch that? Because they were afraid of the people. They just sent them out. Man-pleasers will always show hints of what they're afraid of. It may not be as obvious as it is to us in this text, but, it, but it's always obvious to God who a person is obeying. These common men can't possibly pose a risk to us. But Peter and John submitted themselves to the sovereignty and providence of God that brought them before those rulers Facing them courageously with the truth, enabled by the Holy Spirit, they stood firm while the Sanhedrin bowed to fear of the people. Don't you love politics? <laughs> so now that we've seen the courage of Peter and John in this text and their unwavering commitment to Christ in the face of opposition, let's go ahead and consider some implications, some applications, and a challenge I'd like to bring up for you guys. I, I think it's a challenge that I face, so I'm assuming you face it too, because, you know, we're all sinners. So, so two implications. Implication number one. The power of the Holy Spirit is essential for believers to stand firm in their faith and fulfill the Great Commission. You and I don't simply rely on education and pedigree. Education is a help. It really is. <laughs> uh, it helps you to stand before kings and rulers and know what you're talking about, not just kind of hoping that the Holy Spirit is guiding you, but really, really putting your effort into the, uh, the ability to defend the faith. Apologetics are wonderful until they become somebody's life, then they're not that wonderful. Therefore, uh, we see here that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is remaining essential. He's the primary tool for the courage. He's the primary tool for the proclamation and the faith. But, but there's also an there's a, there's a self-employed aspect to growing in that as well. So while the Holy Spirit is, the power of the Holy Spirit is essential, knowing and understanding the scripture is helpful. Peter and John were educated by Jesus for three years. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. 
Um, they knew the scripture from their upbringing as well, being educated in synagogues and in their homes uh, through what the Jews considered necessary in training. If you read Deuteronomy, you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to train up your kids. If, if we're to be courageous for the gospel and risk offending the wrong people like they did, then we should know the scripture too. So implication one, Holy Spirit is essential. Implication two, knowing and understanding, educating yourself in the scripture is helpful. So application, be courageous when you share the gospel. You will offend people, I promise. <laughs> um, don't aim to offend people, but I, I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to guide you in sharing the gospel with your friends, with your neighbors, with that crazy family member that nobody talks to at every reunion, right? Because you know that if you come up and, and, and sneeze, right? Somebody sneezes and somebody else says, God bless you. There is no God. You all know who I'm talking about. Every family has one of those, right? <laughs> it, it, you're you're going to step on a landmine no matter what you do around that person. But be courageous. Share the gospel. Rejoice in what you've learned. And let the Holy Spirit empower and guide you in the effort. Application number two, prioritize obeying God over human authorities when there's a conflict between the two. When, the, when, when COVID struck and, you know, the, 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 all the rules came, no public gatherings, uh, we were in Toledo and we had just gotten there and it was a really awkward time. But, uh, but what Rachel and I did was we, we set up streaming and then we told people like, hey, if you want to come over to the house and we can worship... Hint, hint. <laughs> like, come on and do that. And then I eventually just stopped locking the doors. Uh, I think I locked the doors one or two weeks. And then uh, somebody was complaining to me that we're not gathering publicly. And I was like, well, if you come up. Oop. Yeah, there we go. I'm going to twist that. I think that's a lock. All right. So, um, so prioritize obeying God over human authorities. Third application, stand firm in the face of opposition, relying on God's strength, courage, uh, uh, and perseverance. The Lord will see you through. The Lord might see you through by moving you somewhere else, but the Lord will see you through. Now, here's the challenge. A soldier who grows lazy in cleaning his weapon will one day regret it when it doesn't fire and he needs it to. A teacher who grows lax in reading their lesson planning material will regret it when they stand before their kids and they have to teach the stuff. A Christian who neglects their time of prayer, their time in the word, and who forgets to rely on the Holy Spirit will regret it when the Lord opens, opens up an opportunity to suffer for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Do not be slothful. William Tyndale knew the consequences of translating the Bible. He knew, he knew that, that the average Christian needed the Bible. So he began mastering Greek and Hebrew for the whole purpose of bringing the Bible to the common person. He knew the Word of God was a gift necessary for the growth of every Christian. And his dying prayer was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Those were his final words. He wanted England to be a country 
that knew the Bible. Therefore, as a pastor here, I just want to be a shepherd that, that lets you guys know the Bible. Because if you know the Bible, and if you know the one who brought it, then you can spread the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. And I don't know if you've thought about it recently, but we're not too many miles from the end of land here. This is kind of the far reaches of the earth. <laughs> we're, we're, at the, uh, we're, we're, we're not at the coast, but we, we're almost there. So let me, let me pray and close, and then we'll sing a final song. Lord, I want to thank you for the example of Peter and John here. Something, something not for us to mimic so much, but to be encouraged by. To be reminded that as we, as we uh, follow your example, Lord Jesus, we will find ourselves in situations where we get to stand courageously for the truth of the gospel. I know for myself, Lord, there are times when I shut up my mouth, when I close up my, my tongue, when I know that I should preach the gospel. And I'm sure that's the, that's the truth for everyone here where they've been in the, in the face of an opportunity and they've decided to not do it. Maybe, Lord, it was out of shrewdness. It was out of careful, tactical movements, and that's, that's fine. But, Lord, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's not the one I'm confessing. So, God, I pray that you would, you would let us take to heart the moments where we failed and that you would redeem them so that we are able to stand more firm and more convicted and more empowered for the moments where we do stand firm. Please move in this congregation, Lord. Let us, let us be on fire for your truth and your gospel and everything entailed in your word. Lord, let us dedicate ourselves today to being bold for your gospel, to being courageous for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.